Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, I was hoping to come up here and say, Giggum, that we beat Alabama. Yeah. If you don't know we played Alabama, that's fine. Um, but I know, and I watched it, and we lost. So um, I was tell- telling my boys, um, uh, my oldest, Ethan, was actually three years old, and my son, Graham, was one years old when we did beat Alabama. I think that was 2012. It was a while ago. Uh, but hey, you know, I was thinking two times in a decade we may or may not get there. But God is still good, even though we lose Alabama. Just use that phrase. Hey, God's still good anyways, man. All right. Maybe people get saved off of us losing football. Um, all right. Well, hey, this past Sunday we uh, relaunched what we're calling our Own It initiative. And it's a two-year discipleship initiative. If you're wondering kind of what that is. And, you know, we're going to be talking more about that today. But just to give you a bit of a refresher from what we talked about last week and kind of more or less the heart behind the Own It initiative. You see, for 11 years, we just started year 12 as a church in August, okay? So we beat all the stats against church planting. We actually won. We have survived. I think we planted, it was like 75% of all churches fail in the first two years, you know? And I just scoffed at that, and so did God, and we made it, all right? So, um, uh, so we can celebrate that, all right? But here we go. We started the journey in 2009, and in the midst of that journey, over the last few years, God's provided some things, been speaking to us about our time in this location, and about what he has for us in the future, and also speaking to us simply about the condition or the state of our church, or the condition of the state of our hearts. And so when we talk about the Own It initiative, what I want you to hear me share today is that, um, is that we are putting things in motion as a church and start this journey back in February of 2020. If you're with us, we launched the Own It initiative, but we're doing it very purposely because um, God has something for us, but yet he's also inviting us into a season of preparation. And I'll often say, you know, where we are is good, as like a church, like culturally, our values, where we are in our location, it's good, but there's something better. There's something better, right? Like, I don't want to live my life in just the good. Like, I want to continue to go from glory to glory. I, I don't want to just have the height of my Jesus experience be at 24. Man, you remember when I was 24 and I'm like, old? Oh, that was a good year. Like, no, no, I want it to be, when I'm 77, this is a great year. Like, I want that year to be a good year. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want to be going better to better. I don't want my marriage's best years to be, those first three years were really dynamic, you know, and loved each other. It was so much fun, and now we just bicker, argue. No, like, my marriage, I'm, we're about to 15-year anniversary in, in February. It is better than it ever has been. It's not just because I'm a pastor, like, oh, this marriage better be good. We've had really difficult seasons. 2018 was not a good year, okay? But 2020 is a good one in our marriage. So... God is good, where we are is good, but he's taking us somewhere better. Last week we talked about two out of these three core goals or initiatives we have with the own initiative. And again, we're going to be saying that over and over again because it really is a two-year discipleship initiative that we believe God's kind of shed light on and said, hey, as a people, there's some preparation, some deep work needed in you guys at church that we've got to do in order to be ready for what he has for us. So one of those is to own your pursuit of Jesus by committing to personal discipleship. 
right? Own your pursuit of Jesus. So who's that put the onus on? On you, right? Not on mom and dad, not on the pastor, not on your life group leader, not on your political leader, not on your childhood hero, not on the sports star, not on the podcast guy you listen to or the author you read about. Own your pursuit of Jesus means it's your faith, right? And by the grace of God, all of us have access to a Bible. To you either have one or you can download one or a friend has one. And if you want one, we will give you one. It just say, hey, I like a Bible and I have the means. Perfect. We'll buy you an awesome Bible. Okay? So if you need a Bible, come talk to Billy. He'll get you a Bible. Okay? Um, so, but we want everybody to own your pursuit of Jesus by committing to personal discipleship. We just did a six-week series, right, on discipleship called Made For It. The reason why we titled it Made For It is because you're made for it. Pretty catchy, right? So that it sinks in. Oh, wait, I'm made for this. It's not just the chosen. It's not just a few. It's not just the wise. It's not just the seminary degree. It's not just the when I hit 50, I can be just, no, no. It's everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And then he says, now stop doing all that junk. Start following me. He says, cut it out, right? It's like, stop it, right? And now follow me, and I'm going to show you a really great way. So Jesus, we are pursuing him. And one of the main ways we do that is pursuing him in his word. We love worship. I love praying. Journaling, my wife's better at that than I am, but I do it too. Right? I love reading, but this is my favorite. I want the word of God to be your favorite. Listen, if you are liking whatever podcast or Christian speaker out there, more than this, that is a problem. You should be having the like flashing sirens. You're giving your affections to another person and not to him. You're quoting him more than this. His ideas, his own experience is now filtering the Bible for you and it's no longer clear for you. That should be this. And as fellow believers should go to one another and say, hey, sounds like you're quoting a lot of so-and-so, but you don't quote this. Or sounds like a lot of your opinions, perspective now come from so-and-so, but not this. As a brother and sister of Christ, be bold and call them out and say, hey, I want to help you. It's not that they're completely off, but it's, they're not the source of truth. There's someone interpreting the truth. So be careful, leaning in too much to the interpreters of truth versus the truth. Does that make sense? So just think, Antioch people, Bible people. Let's say it. Come on. Antioch people, Bible people. Because I know some of you, you're like, oh, we don't do the Bible around there. No, no, no. We do the Bible a lot. I read it a lot, actually. I love reading the Bible. Everything we do, we preach, we teach, we do from the Bible. And we don't have Bible studies where you fill out the blanks because I'm expecting you to read the Bible and fill out the blanks. He's already filled it in, by the way. Just kind of read it, you know. Um, but we are committed to Jesus through his word. And the more you get to know him and the word of God, the more clear it is how to pursue him. Instead of being lost, where do I go? It's like, oh, he's already told me. How do, I, how do I treat this person? Oh, he's already told me. What do I do when I have affections for someone? Oh, he's already told me. What do I do when I see a need? Oh, he's already told me. Right? And now all of a sudden you're living by the word of God instead of just by what people say. Does it make sense? All right, so we're committed to personal discipleship. We did six weeks on it. If you didn't hear it, listen to it. We're committed to discipleship. Number one. Number two, own your place in his mission, Right? Jesus spoke to his disciples, one of the last things he said, and he said what? He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey some of what I've commanded. Did you get me? Oh, just make sure you're awake now, 11 o'clock. Teaching you to obey everything I've commanded you. And by the way, I'll be with you always to the very end. Now, what's really key about that? A lot of things, but I want you to hear. A disciple of Jesus, let's take Peter and John in the gang. Peter, John, hey guys, you're going to go make disciples, go find people who are hungry for me in the kingdom and want to repent and change their lives and then teach them everything I've taught you. Whoa. So what's discipleship? Teaching them everything that Jesus taught. Oh, there it is. So how are you made for it? When Jesus calls you into relationship to him, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you repent of your sins, you change your ways, you accept Jesus as Christ Lord in your heart. All of a sudden now you say, my life is no longer mine, it's yours. Now what? The now what is, I just need to now do what Jesus does. So how do you, what, what's it mean to be a Christian? Follow Jesus. Be like Jesus Christ. Christianity, right? Well, how do you do discipleship? Do what Jesus does. Oh, it's pretty simple. Right? He's the main discipler, right? So we're going to own your place in his mission. And so what's his mission? It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is his mission. So our number two goal is not that creative, actually. It's just in the Bible. As a church, the next two years, we are committed to getting ourselves prepared and getting in the place of understanding culturally and our value system and mindset to say, I want to be in line with his mission. Which means I personally, Tyler Hardy, I have to commit to selfless service. Now, here's what I love about Jesus a lot of things, but here's one thing I really love, right? The night he is getting arrested in Jerusalem, this is what we celebrate around Easter, he's literally getting arrested the night we know as Passover meal, right? He's doing this meal with his disciples. That night, guess what happens? His disciples show up, all their dirty, stinky feet, he gets down. He washes their feet. They're like, Jesus, I mean, you're not supposed to do that. That's the servants. That's the other guys. He's, like, he's washing their feet. And what does he say to them? The whole foot washing experience. Just as I've done to you, go and do so to one another. Washing feet, Jesus? No, man. I need you when you are a discipler. When you are a leader, when you're an authority, when you're a parent, when you're a professor, when you're a government leader, when you're a coach, you are supposed to get low and serve your people. But what has all of world history been? I'm the leader, bow. I'm the leader, do that. Do this. You wash my feet. Do you see how radical Jesus was? Greatest leader in world history. <laughs> And then he said, after that statement, just so you know, guys, the son of man, referring to himself, did not come to be served. I came to serve. Amen. So much so that I'm willing to give my life in service to you. So you want to think about the military, giving the lives to the service of our country? That idea came from Jesus. Giving your service to a higher calling or something else. If you are a Christian or on the journey, you have to know that somewhere along the way, you have to come face to face with the reality that once you decide to follow Jesus, it's no longer about you. It actually becomes all about him. And then the second group, is that not you either? You're not in that group either. It's about others. The third group you're in. I remember I worked at Canacuck years ago. It's a summer camp up in Missouri. And um, this great little saying is called the I'm third. 
deal, and they had these I'm Third Awards. And so campers, you'd get to the lunchroom, and, you know, you'd be looking for the kids that are, like, not trying to butt in front of the line. Hey, me first, me first. Especially the boys, you know, they're, like, all hungry. You know, you're looking for the kids, like, hey, they can go in front of me. Like, I'm third. Like, it's Jesus, others, and then me. It's a simple principle, but I, I, I wish our society adhered to I'm third. I don't think we'd be in the mess we're in in many ways. <laughs> you know? Like, if people actually thought about, oh, what, how could I bless and honor God? And then how could I bless and honor others? Oh, and then I'll take care of me. But it's actually take care of me, and then we'll see where God and others fit in the mix. Do you see what I'm saying? So as a church, we are saying we are going to go on this journey, the ONA initiative, to not only own our faith and make it ours personal, where I'm responsible now, but actually to know, you know what? Being part of this church and being a Christian, actually what you've just said is I've stepped into service to my king. So if you are not serving anywhere, I would argue you are giving a half-hearted attempt to the king. It's like saying, thanks for risking everything, giving up your life for me. I'll take it, punch my ticket in, (sighs) sit it out and wait it out. (laughs) That's not following Jesus. I don't know what that is, attending Jesus? (laughs) But we're not looking for church attenders. I'm looking for Jesus followers. You can attend a lot of places, and that sounds great. That's not what we want here. So the own initiative is also to give people a chance to come face-to-face with door number one, door number two. Door number one, attend. Do nothing. Sit. Door number two, walk through. Commit. Give your life to the Lord. Love, serve people, and see what God does in your life. Amen? So here we go. The third piece of the own initiative is own the price of progress by committing to radical generosity. We're going to talk about that one today. But, I, but before we jump into it, I just want to give some more context for this idea of ownership, right? Like, why'd you call it own it, you know? And what is that about? You know, we started looking when we started on this journey a while back. We said, okay, God, what do you want us to, how are we going to pull a church together on something, you know? And he highlighted the fact that our town is full of renters, right? Like, who rents? You don't be ashamed by it. Most of you do. Come on. It's like, keep your hands down. Like, there's nothing to prove here. Um, <laughs> just, you know, everybody's rented in the room. Like, we've all rented, okay? All right, so we rented, all right? And um, so, okay, so let's take renting for just a moment. Just the, just the mindset of a renter, all right? So when you're renting a house, um, you may go in and do a couple of paint colors, but, like, you're not doing a whole lot, right? Because you're just there for a little bit. There's some stains in the carpet. Oh, well, it's covered up some furniture, right? Uh, you, maybe you watch some documentary, you get inspired by gardening. You're going to do like a mini garden. You're not doing a big one. No, you're just doing a mini one because you're a renter. You know, like your landlord says, hey, please mow the grass like once a month. I got some tenants at one rent house. Hey, just like once a month, mow the grass. It's like four dudes. And my neighbor's like texting me, hey, your grass is like a uh, feet and a half tall. I'm, I'm like, guys, I ask you to do one thing. I do all the bush trimming. I actually go there twice a year, thorns cut up, and I do all that. Just mow the grass, dude, like. 60 minutes, just, whoa, we, we, we were too busy. With what? You know, it's just, anyways. But, but they're renters. Do you understand me? A renter equals bare minimum. And it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Because renters are bare minimum mindset. I'm not saying all of you mistreat your grass or don't take care of your house if you're renting. You know where I'm going. Because when you become a homeowner, it means more. It's different. 
okay? You're a renter. You can slap that poster up from sixth grade on that wall. Let me tell you something. When you get married one day and you buy a house, that sixth grade poster is nowhere finding a place in the wall. <laughs> Even if it was inspiring to you, especially for the dudes. Your wife's going to say, no, no, no. That, that poster is gone. But, but it's gone, okay? So, like, when you become an owner, though, it is, I want to take care of this place. It matters to me that there's trash in my yard. Renters don't care. Why? Because it's someone else's mess to clean up. Renters call you when there's a light bulb out. It doesn't take a professional to change a light bulb. You just do that and it's done. But they want to call you, hey, Mr. Miller, I got a light bulb out of here. I'm like, great, fix it. But, that, uh, but I'm a renter. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, now here we go. Best step on some toes. Sorry. Toe stepping day. Here we go. Um, a renter, a church renter. I'm not saying this is any of you, but deep down in your heart, you may be like, oh, there might be some tendencies there in me. You don't have to raise your hand today. I'm not calling you out like that. You call yourself out between you and the Lord. Here's what I'm about to say, though. The church in America has a lot of renters. A lot of renters. And I would argue a lot of attenders and a lot of shoppers. Jesus did not die on the cross. Raised from the dead, preached the kingdom, son of God coming down upon earth so that we could rent or attend or shop his bride. The church is his bride. And one day he will come back on a horse with a killer tattoo on his thigh, with fire in his eyes, and it will be too late for anyone who's not already bowed. There is no last chance when he returns. It is over. That is called judgment day. The church exists to help as many people as possible on planet Earth hear the good news that you do not have to be cast out in eternal separation from God forever. The good news is Jesus came and made a way for you. You can have life and be free forever. The church exists to promote that message. Do you understand me? That is why the church exists. Without the church, you remove the last pillar of truth in society. Do your research. Take the church away from society and tell me where that society has gone. You know where it goes. You put this in the center, and you all of a sudden make people align their lives with the truth, not with their feelings, not with their political persuasions, not with their cultural ideas or what's relevant topics. When this becomes a guiding principle, and who's preaching this? The church, the people of God, not just pastors, all of you. The church of the people of God is not people in ministry, just to be clear. Right? So, when we as a people, though, decide, I'm no longer renting, I'm no longer shopping, I'm no longer attending, I'm either in or out. In the first service, I asked people, I said, who's from New York? Anyone from New York in here? Any New Yorkers? Okay. All right. So in New York, are the lines really blurry between Christians and non-Christians? They're not really. In the South, it's very blurry. Okay, but in, in, in the Northeast, I was meeting this guy this last week, he's from New York, and his dad's a pastor there, and he said, oh, it's super easy in our town. You're either image Jesus or you're out. There, there's no, like, playing the game. 
where they're from. He's like, they don't play. It's like, I'm either all in, I'm all out. There's none of this like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like here when you go to a restaurant and you're ordering your food and maybe you talk to your waiter or waitress and you're ordering, you know, you, I want to pray for you. I've done that a few times. And, hey, I want to pray for you. And we pray for them. And then just say, hey, do you go to church anywhere or anything? And usually they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, hey, where do you go to church at? And I don't tell my pastor anything. And they're like, oh, it's that, um, oh, I love going there. What is that place? <laughs> it's, it's over there by the, uh, I was like, oh, it's no big deal. And, and they have no idea because they went once. But in the South, it's cool to go to church. I mean, if you tell people you're not church focused, like, hey, man, you may not get hired. <laughs> like, they're going to give you bad looks. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's still kind of cool to be like in the church thing. It's not as cool to be a diehard follower of Jesus. It's cool to attend. It's cool to shop. It's cool to pretend. And it's cool to rent. But ownership, ownership is something different. Ownership is this, Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus, in his own words to his trusted disciples, said, if you go through this life renting and trying to save your own backside, that ain't going to cut it. Because whoever really wants to follow me to be a real disciple has got to deny themselves, which means all of your dreams, desires, and wants, and all of a sudden now filter them through God, and then say, God, if you want that, I want that. But if I want to be an NBA superstar and you don't want that, then remove the desire for the basketball. Like, that's the commitment level. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not, God, please help me do this and align with that and all that stuff. Remember, it didn't say Jesus didn't get done washing their feet and said, um, I, I have come to volunteer for you when it works for me and when it's easy, when my schedule's not busy, when we're not having kids. I've come to volunteer only when I'm extremely healthy and everything's in order financially and all is good. He didn't say that. But we say that. I don't know, life's busy. When's it not going to be busy? It's called life. Amen. Your life will always be busy with something. Nintendo, a job, a relationship, the yard, the dog, the finances, politics, this thing or that thing. All of our lives will be busy. So let's just get on the same page real quick and say, they're all going to be busy. So quit using that as an excuse Amen. and get rid of the busy stuff that's just busy and start doing stuff that actually matters. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got to be people that shift from being a renter to an owner. That's what God's inviting us into. Really, the next two years, that is the journey we are on. We're giving us three clear goals to help us move from the renting mentality to the owner mentality, which is own your pursuit of Jesus, own your place in his mission. And the third one today we want to talk about is own the price of progress by committing to radical generosity. Now, there's a scripture I shared last week. It's Isaiah 54, 2 and 3. It's a very core scripture for Antioch, for our churches worldwide and in the U.S. that God spoke to some leaders years ago, and it's this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, 
and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Now keep that up there. That is good. That's a good word. I'm like, that sounds like church is fun. Like that's fun church. Where we are going is fun. What we are doing is fun. I didn't say it won't be hard. But it's going to be fun. And it's going to be an adventure. And it's going to be good. And we're, and we're going to move on to the better. But God is taking us there. But you know what? The price of progress as a people includes us moving forward as a people so we can take new ground. God is speaking to us about how do we get deep and why at the same time it's very difficult. It's like starting a family. You start with one child. It's not that difficult to give one child the attention and focus and time. But when you start adding more, you get the same number of hours in the day. There's still only one of you, and there's a lot more of them. So you're like, whoa. It's like it used to take me 20 minutes to get ready for school. Now we're up to an hour and a half. I was making one peanut butter jelly. Now I'm making five. And then I forget to make my lunch, so then I fast for lunches half the time accidentally. That's real, by the way. You used to say bath time was fun and toys rubber duckies. Now it's get in, get out. Because it's already going to take us an hour. It used to be everybody pick a book. Now it's you get one book for the whole family. Why is that? Because I don't love them? No. It's because we still only have so much time and space. Right? So even as a church, we've struggled the last few years to get deep as we've gotten wide. So God has said it is time to go deep. And as we go deep, we can handle the width. We are not moving from this location until we get deep. We have goals and targets. But if we do not get there, and if us as a church are not ready for it, we will stay put. I don't believe this is best where we are culturally, our value system, where we're up to discipleship, life groups, Sundays, ministries we want to create, things we haven't gotten to yet, the depth of relationship we have. We're not there. I am not satisfied in any way. I'm thankful, but there's more to go. I'm here on the glory to glory road. Not, oh, that was really good. Do you know what I'm saying? But we've got to get deep in some places, guys. We've got to get real with Jesus and his word and what we do around here so that we can go to this place, so that we are ready, so when the growth comes, we are not just overwhelmed by it. All right, think about a company. If they're not prepared for the number of people about to come into their business, they're going to get overwhelmed. And then what's going to happen? Those customers are going to have a really terrible experience because you couldn't handle it. And then they're going to have a one-and-done expression and say, well, the church isn't for me. I do not want us to be that church. We have been too many Sundays. We have been too many life groups. We've probably had 10,000-plus people come to our church. Now, a lot of those actually were here, and they moved because jobs or whatever else. Okay. We've had a lot of people come through. And what's been hurting us is we haven't had the depth and the culture established across the whole and the systems and processes in place so that we don't have people slip through the cracks like they're always doing. Do you understand me? But this is not like a staff thing. Staffing is part of it. But the main thing is us as a people pulling together and saying, I'm doing my part. I do not need to be here on a Sunday identifying someone new and saying, 
I should probably go get them and take them to the welcome room. I need you. You look new. Hi. Would you like to go to the welcome room with me? Give you some information. Hey, let me get your number. Would you like to have coffee this week? Have you been to church in a while? It's the first time in four years. Man, that's perfect. I'd love to buy you lunch. I need you to take ownership. If not, we're a church of renters and shoppers with a few people that are paid and forced to be owners. I'm not doing that, guys. We're done with that. So I'm letting you know. If you don't know this is your first Sunday, I apologize. <laughs> it's not like this all the time. <laughs> but I'm very passionate about this. But it's because I believe Jesus is very passionate about it. Jesus said, drop your nuts and follow me. And he left. So either you either go with Jesus or you stay where you are. I want to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to drop your nets here and you're going to go over there and fish over there. There's more fishing over there. That's where we're going. So let's light it up for just a minute. And um, <laughs> we're going to show a short video. Sorry, guys. I'm all over the place. And I have notes, but I can't get to all of them. So we're just kind of going. Okay. Here we go. So all that said, are we clear on the fact that we were doing this for two years, mainly for the fact that we all together on the journey want to shift from being renters, attenders, and shoppers into being owners in the kingdom with our faith, owners with our place in this mission and say, no, I'm part of the body of Christ. God's got a part for me to play. And by the way, it's going to cost us something, not just financially, but it's going to cost us time. It's going to cost you giving up your giftings. Otherwise you get paid for in the business world. But we're going to ask you to voluntarily give up some of those things here to the church. We need your gifts at work here because without it, we can't do it. The church, the church lives and dies off people willing to serve and give away what God has given them. If, you know what I'm saying? Like that's what we need and we are lacking it across the board. There's been so many Sundays we don't have enough children's people to even minister to kids and then families come and then they hang with their kids and then they stop coming. They're like, oh, I guess you don't have enough people that care about kids. It's like, yeah, I guess we don't. And, and then you're like, well, where are the families? Well, um, we're trying to create a space for them, but there's only so many people that are willing to do it. Do you get what I'm saying? It affects all of us. So here we go. Um, in 2016, I'm going to show you, you show the video. In 2016, someone approached me and said, hey, God's put in my heart to donate land to the church. And I said, wow. So we talked about it. They ended up signing it over. We took that, uh, and there it is right there. That's off of East Holloman. If you know where the Barracks townhomes are, or the, um, kind of some of that development, um, it's kind of close to Rock Prairie Road and East Holloman, across the, Wellburn, uh, across the railroad tracks off of Wellburn. And it's eight acres of land, but we got five acres donated to us. And then we decided to purchase an additional three acres next to it. So we have an eight acre, 8.2 acres of land that Antioch Community Church owns, debt-free. It is ours. We've had it rezoned already by the city. So we've gone through the zoning process. So we can actually build a church there legally. We can do that. And now the, what God's invited us into is the preparation stage, not just financially, but mainly, like I said, on our cultural reality of our value system and how we do discipleship, life groups, relationships, so that we are deep enough so that when we are there, and the hope is that actually our finances and our hearts and our depth are aligning at the same time so that we can move forward together. Do you hear me? If our finances are there, but we're not there, we're just gonna hold. That's right. I'm serious. Like, we're gonna hold 
If someone came today and they said, hey, here's all this money, I'd say, that's so great. Thank you so much. We'll put it in the bank. We're still going to go through the journey. Because I'm not here to shortcut something. It's not going to help us, right? We're going for depth. We're not going for like a beautiful building or something. We're, we're doing a bigger building because we can't make this one any bigger. You know, and, and honestly, and it's because of the location that God provided for us. What's really cool about that location is, um, by the way, we're going to do some more events out there soon, and so it'll be fun if you've been out there. But um, it, it's right across the street is a 200, I think close to 200 acre development of like homes that's emerging. Surrounded by it is, I don't I think 10 to 15,000 college students live in apartments and places within literally half a mile of where our location is. There's not a single church on that side of the railroad tracks, which is really cool. We're like the only church on the side of the tracks, kind of fun. Um, and, and the reality is it's a new development. And we want to be a church that's in the thick of where people live. Our desire from the get-go is, hey, where can we be where people already live, work, and play? That's where we want to be. The fact we're going to get to build a church really surrounded by a bunch of neighborhoods is awesome. It's like, oh, now we're within walking distance, biking distance, scootering distance, driving distance to the church. So we don't need as much parking, praise God. But that's what we're doing, right? So God provided this land. We purchased it. We have it. It's ours. And now we're on the journey of getting ready, which we are calling this, is, this initiative is really it's a preparedness time. We're preparing ourselves. You know, in Exodus 3, remember the story of God showing up to Moses? Remember Moses, right? Um, he was kind of out, had escaped into the wilderness, and his people are still back in slavery in Egypt. God showed up and said, Moses. Probably like that or something close to that. <laughs> he said, Moses. And he's, he's like, are you on holy ground? So he took his sandals off. He's like, yes, Lord. And so this is what I want you to do, Moses. We talked about it last week. And Moses has these, all these excuses, you know, like, well, I'm, I can't really talk very good or they're not going to believe me. And God's like, no, no, I got that, I got that, I got that. And then the Lord says to him in verse 16 of chapter 3 of Exodus, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses, hearing that message, eventually works up the courage, goes with Aaron, they go back to the people, you know the rest of the story, 10 plagues happen, Pharaoh finally releases them, then he changes his mind. They go through the Red Sea, God parts the Red Sea, the waters comes crashing down, three million plus people cross the Red Sea on the other side, Egyptian army gets demolished, people get on the other side, and for a moment they celebrate with thanksgiving and this really cool song, you can read about it, but then pretty soon after the celebration, something started. We know it very well, it exists in our culture, it's called complaining. You're used to it, you did it this week. Right? Complaining. Well, let's, let's eat around here, Moses. Getting hungry. We should go back to slavery. At least they fed us. Like, I'm serious. This is what's happening. Okay, so God, 10 plagues, Red Sea. We're free. Where's the food? It's hot out here. Why didn't you tell us? Where's, you know, it's like, can you imagine? Like, I don't know what God's expression was like. It wasn't happy. <laughs> Just like, 
Oh, my cute little, you know? It's like taking your kids to Disney, and they're, like, complaining they need to go on, like, that one extra ride. And you're like, do you understand we took out a loan to get here? <laughs> right? It's like, you will eat the corn dog. Eat the corn dog. You know, you're just like, never again will you ever step foot at Disney, you know? Right? But thankfully, God is a God of mercy that trumps his judgment. No, no. He's a judging God. Not about it. But his mercy trumps it. If that was not the case, none of us would be breathing right now. Just for clarity. God's all wrathful. Well, if he was, you'd be dead. Oh, he's actually full of mercy too. God's a God of truth and grace. And you know how I know that the grace is there? Because we actually are alive. That's why. So the complaining starts. Oh, my gosh, these people. Land of milk and honey is coming, but we're complaining about not having food and whatever else is going on. Guys, the promise was given to the people, but they were not prepared to possess it. God's promise was clear. I have something better for you. You're not ready to possess it. And, in fact, you guys are complaining so much. I promise you this. None of you will ever set foot in the land of milk and honey. Read the story. Everybody from that entire generation died off, including Moses, because they complained. Period. He said, the generation didn't complain. They can inherit the land. I want nothing to do with a complaining generation. I really don't. I'd rather have a church of 12 people. Jesus started with 12, worked out for him. We will not be a complaining people. Is there a lot of bad stuff going on in the world? Sure. It's not like there wasn't then. They were being beaten by Egyptian slaves every day. They were people for 400 years, downtrodden, working in the desert, by the way, which is a lot harder than here. And then to be rescued, and then to turn in a moment because their stomachs were hungry? Do you see what I'm saying? You see how trite it seems? It's like, that's ridiculous. But just zoom out and look at our society. It's ridiculous. Most of it's just ridiculous. It's like, wow, where's, where's the solutions? So much complaining. And so what happened was the complaining generation died off, said, nope, can't touch it. Wonder Bring generation is going to be thankful. That's who we're going to be, guys. God's preparing us to be a people that will be thankful. So I don't know what the time is going to look like, but I do know this, is that staying in this place, in this facility, in this location, um, for the last few years has aided in part to us feeling a little stuck. You know, the people of Israel, they actually wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Did you know that? But in those 40 years, God still provided for them to survive. Every day, manna would show up. This heavenly substance that just tasted somewhat like bread came down. They would eat it and would fill their bellies. Even though they complained, he provided like a good mom and dad. (laughs) Right? That's how good he is. He's going to provide for us. But it's in his timing. So what can we do about that? What we can do is submit to God, honor him, 
get serious about our walk with Jesus, serious about the word of God, and then let's go on the journey together. Amen. That's what the ONA initiative is about. It's an opportunity for us to go on a journey together. And honestly, what we are wanting, what we are believing for is 100% engagement with own your pursuit of Jesus, own your place in his mission, and own the price of progress. And listen, I know that some of us are thinking, you know what, I may be moving in a year, Tyler, or I'm a college student, what's that have to do with me? And let me just say this for a moment. Um, there's a principle in the kingdom called sowing and reaping. And um, I take that principle Jesus teaches on often about, I take it this way, whatever I sow into, I will reap. It may not be on earth. That's okay with me. It's fun to have things reap. It's fun to like see it on earth, you know? Oh, I invested in that. They really, I got to see it. But most of the time, you don't get to see it. You sow here on earth, and you get to reap in heaven. So I look at the 10,000 plus people that have been part of our church and for one Sunday or for five years. The life groups, the ministries, the worship, the teaching, the environment, the warm coffee to a hello, to a counseling session, to marriage help, to doing their premarital rock on, to ADS class, to taking them on a mission trip. At times, we're taking 300 people every single summer overseas to get to experience the nations. Um, those people you minister to overseas, you're not seeing them again, by the way. So you sowed into someone you won't see again. You sowed into a nation you may never return to. But you still sowed into it. So if you only sow into things that you get to benefit from for the rest of your life, that's not a kingdom mindset. You'll actually never sow in anyone. Because most likely, unless you're married to someone in this room, or unless they're an immediate family member, you probably won't know most of the people in your life, or very few of them, or any of them, 20 years from now. I know that's like a, oh, that's kind of discouraging. It's just true. <laughs> you're going to move. You're going to change course. You're going to do different things. There will be a few exceptions, you know. But who you will know the rest of your life is the king. And fraternity. I don't know if I'm going to know you guys in heaven or not. That'd be cool, but I don't know. I know I'm going to know him. That's a guarantee. So I want to do everything I can to make sure my life's aligning with his purposes, his plans, his mission. And the last I checked is the church is the pillar of truth, holding the ground, holding the line. And we need it in this city too. Our town's not getting any smaller, if you haven't noticed. It's getting bigger. And there's more people that are lost. The churches aren't keeping up. Our growth population is exceeding our church population. We need more churches being planted. I want more. We have, let's call it 5,000, let's be generous, 10,000 hardcore followers of Jesus at Texas A&M. There's still another 60,000 who aren't. Who's going to reach them? We're going to try to make a dent in that. There's families moving in all the time. Who's going to reach them? Do you see what I'm saying? That's what we're committed to. So when we talk about what we're doing for the facility, no, it's, with, it's simply creating a space and a location so we can go deeper and wider and reach more people. That's the bottom line. It's because we were purposed to be a church that would plant other churches, that would, that would preach Jesus, that would help people on their journey of salvation, discipleship, growth, and healing, and then we'd be able to send them out one day to go be awesome business people or moms or missionaries. Like, that's our desire. We are sowing into people all the time that we know will leave. But that's who we are and that's what we do. So even if you're young, I want to encourage you to consider being a part of this, even if you're only going to be here for a year. Because if you don't, then you probably have the mindset of, oh, I'm only going to 
given myself at certain times when it feels right for me. But the kingdom lifestyle that you're serving always, all the time, everywhere. Amen? So here's what we're doing specifically. We're going to wrap it up here soon. Civically, here's what I want us to know about the Own It initiative and what we're trying to do. We talk about own the price of progress. Buildings cost money. They do. Um, reading the word costs you time. Um, owning your place is a mission. It costs you time. It costs you to give up giftings and maybe give to something else that uh, give your time somewhere else that maybe you could have for yourself. And building a facility, it costs money. I wish they were free, but they're not apparently. Um, and um, <clears throat> so here's what we're doing. We looked at it. We said our goal is to, to raise $6 million over the next two years. Um, so what does that mean? I'll break it down for you. Our church, the last two years, have brought in about $1.2 million a year total in tithes and offerings. Okay, that's like the total money that's come into this church over a year's period. So let's say we stayed on track with that over a two-year period, then we would bring in 2.5. So take 1.25 times 2, right? 2.5. And then that gives us $3.5 million that we need to raise in additionally to that so that we can actually begin the project over there. 3.5 won't cover the entirety of the cost. That's our estimate is that's going to cover half the cost of a facility. Um, but we really felt clearly that unless our church is willing to even get 50% of the way there, we have no business even talking about something. Until we have ownership and buy-in, we're not going to do it. Does it make sense? And we're not looking for four wealthy people to, like, pay for facility. That goes against the complete purpose. It's like saying, I only need four life group leaders. It's like saying, hey, let's, I need just one worship leader, one guy that cares about worship. Everybody else, you just watch him sing. That's not the kingdom. I only need just one evangelist. Or, hey, I'll go on a mission trip, one guy. That does nothing for us. We need the collective whole to say, no, we are 100% engaged. And if you've got 10 bucks to give, then give your 10 bucks unto the Lord. If you've got a million to give, give your million bucks unto the Lord. I don't really care. It's not between you and me. It's between you and him. So what we're doing is we're asking everybody to take this month in October. If you committed with us back in February and March as a church, we're actually asking for you to refill out a card to recommit because the coronavirus has changed some things for some people. And we want to honor that. So I want to be clear that we're asking people to recommit or commit for the first time to the Own It initiative. Whether you're here for six months or four years, there's some people that committed back in February, they graduated in May, they're still giving. And they're saying, no, I believe in this deal. Because there's people that give money to A&M all the time for future students and scholarships they're never going to meet. And I'm like, no, no, no. The church, we are transforming lives. Like people's lives eternally are being transformed and changed because of the work that we are doing, that you are doing. So I have no problem going before someone saying, actually, I think your money's better used over here than engineering department. No offense. Because that engineering comes and goes and it has an end point. The church is the only thing that will remain when Jesus returns. Right? So I actually want to sow into something that's going to be eternal, not temporal. I'm not saying you can't bless engineering department. Bless God, half your engineers. Sounds great. But if you're only blessing the temporal and you're missing the eternal, you're missing something. So here's what we're going to do. You got underneath your seat real quick. There's a commitment card underneath there. I do not want you to fill it out. I don't want any pins out, nothing. Just grab the card, put it in your purse, put it in your journal, put it in your pocket. And here's what we're saying. The month of October, we're calling Pray, Ask, and Decide. So we want you to take that card. There's also guidebooks we have. If you missed these back in February, we just refreshed them a little bit. Get one of these. This tells you the history of our church, some other things about what we're doing, more about the Own It initiative in its entirety. Ian has, I believe, 20, like four weeks worth of devotionals that our entire church went through back in February 
as life groups. If you missed it, you can go back through it. And they're just simple scriptures that really do capture the heart of these three core goals of owning your pursuit of Jesus, owning your place in his mission, and owning the price of progress. And where are we getting that language from scripturally and biblically? Because listen, we want you to get this in you. The majority of this guidebook is just scripture, by the way. That's what it is. So we'd love for you to get that. But take those commitment cards. We're also gonna have them digitally online on our website. We'll send it out via the e-news. You're not signed up for that, sign up. But I want you to take this card, and I want you to at least commit a few different times during the month of October to really just have it and have the word and just pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because that's really what we want. We, we want 100% engagement with what God's inviting you in to do, not necessarily with what we're inviting in to do. We're kind, of, we're kind of like sending the message like, hey, this is an opportunity we want you to pray through and really ask God about it. And he may ask you to do something that seems very radical, right? Because our God's a radical God. He's, we usually think radical negative. He's radical in his love. He's unconditional in his love. I mean, the fact that he sent his son Jesus here on the earth to make a way for us is radical. It's like a crazy outside the box thinking, you know? But that's who it is. So that's why we want to be committed to radical generosity. I've already seen that on display in our life groups for nearly 11, 12 years. People getting debt paid off, people buying cars, people paying for someone's rent, someone doing, I mean, the, the, all the financial stories, it's ridiculous. I know you don't know a lot of them, but just there's, we probably need to like keep a record of all that. But there's just like, a lot of crazy stories. It's like every other week I'm getting some sort of secret Venmo thing for people, you know. Hey, we're going to help them out here. I just love it. It's like, just awesome. You know, they show up like, here's $1,000. You're like, Whoa! You know, it's like, God loves me. The people of God love me. It's like, we don't think money matters. It totally does. Because it communicates, right, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you treasure people, man. You treasure him. You want to invest in those things. Amen. So take that card pray through. The last thing I'll say is this. There's a lot of people that have come through our church and here at our church that your families have been impacted. It's different, I know, but like we're believing that God's going to get us there financially, but we also believe that we need outside help. You, you've seen our church. It is what it is. We're not poor. We're not rich. We're somewhere in the middle. Um, it is what it is. God's provided for us every step of the way. He provided for us the Hilton Hotel at 200 bucks a week, which is the deal of the century. They still don't offer that deal to anyone else. Um, he provided for this building. Another, another church invested nearly a million dollars in this building before we got it and leased it. And then they gave us the lease. And so we are leasing it for the same rent for seven years at this place. That's a miracle. I mean, literally. I'm like, God, why are you doing all this? Like, remember, I'm the one providing for you. But God, we're a church of like a lot of young people. Don't have much money. I know, but I sent you here for that. I'll take care of you. We're believing God's going to take care of us, but we're also not sitting around our hands saying, God, take care of me. Yeah. We're saying, Lord, I will do my bit, and I will step in full throttle. I will give whatever I can. I will sacrifice. I will contribute. It has nothing to do with the dollar amount. It has everything to do with where your heart is, period. Does it make sense? So what I want you to do is to pray, ask, and decide the month of October. Before October 31st, I want you to take that card, or online, we'll have a digital card, digital form, I want you to fill it out, put it in one of those black boxes just before October 31st and say, hey, here's my commitment, period. Because we need to figure out and know where are we as a church in this trajectory. Are we far off? Are we close? And we're not going to call you every month and say, oh, you didn't pay this month. I don't care about that. It's simply for us just to know and for our accountant to total up and say, hey, I think we're in the ballpark or like 
hey, I think we have like $100,000 committed for two years, so we probably need to rethink this plan. Do you know what I'm saying? And we will. We believe this is what God has for us best. I don't know how we're going to get there, but I don't think the Israelites knew how they're going to get to the promised land. Just knew God said, hey, I'm setting you free, and I'm taking you there, trust me. So God's taking us there. We're going to trust him in it. Amen? So let's stand as we close this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Um, really, here's just how I want to end. I just want us to take a moment here as we worship and just want to simply ask us the question for every one of us to ask. But earlier I talked about renters versus owners, you know, and, um, or shoppers or attenders, and I, I just get a sense that God is really wanting to dial in on that today, just for a moment. And just for each of us to ask the question, Lord, where, where have I been a shopper in my relationship with you? Maybe it's, or God, where, where have I just showed up at Antioch or any church we've gone to, just kind of receive it. I never give, I never serve, I never help. You know, I don't know what it is, but if there's anything in you that you feel like is hindering you stepping in and shifting, becoming an owner, that's what I want you to ask God about and say, God, expose it in my heart. Forgive me and then help me. Like, help me to see where I can take a step, where I can step out of renting and step into owning. Like, and it's probably going to be a process for many of us. You know, it's not going to happen in a day, but like the process is, God, I want to be on the journey, taking ownership of my faith, ownership of your mission, and ownership of really the price, the cost, what it's going to take to get there. That's what I would ask. Just take a few moments right now. Just ask the Lord, let him speak to your heart we worship this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are our guide, our leader. You are graceful. You are merciful. You are so patient with us. And Lord, we just ask right now, would you help us make the shift as a people, as Christians, as a church, to shift out of whatever mindset or mentality says that we don't have to give our all say, Jesus, you gave your all. We wouldn't just do what you do. So help us, we pray, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name.